Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. I'm dive into some things today um, that may make some people uncomfortable, may ruffle some feathers. Um, I could take the path of least resistance. I could be the type of pastor or leader that only talks about vanilla things or, or keeps it in a specific lane where no one has an opportunity to get upset or offended. But I would rather be surrounded by people that have some grit and some guts and some tenacity and some willingness to stand up and... I'm going to be a risk-taking pastor. That's how God has made me to be. Got to be true to who God has designed me to be. I am a competitor. I'm a fighter. I'm rowdy. I, I, I laugh at God for choosing me. I'm like, buddy, you knew what you picked up, right? This is, you know, I, I'm, 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 when people from my childhood found out that I was a pastor, they laughed. They're like, you? You're a pastor? Really? Okay. I'll leave off the details of why they would be questioning uh, that decision. But I questioned God's decisions in picking me um, because I have a unique flavor and I have a unique attitude. And there are people that want to temper me. There are people that want to domesticate me. It won't happen. I'm sorry. Jesus wasn't tempered or domesticated. Jesus ticked people off all the time. He said things that other people wouldn't say in ways that they wouldn't say them because he knew that part of what he was called to do was create separation. No, Jesus came to bring unity. Kinda. Later. He, he actually said that I come to divide. That's what he said. He said, I come to divide. I come to separate people with mindsets. Guys, as this world continues on, the path that it's going to continue on, the light will shine lighter and the dark will look darker. And we've got to be people that are willing to be distinct, peculiar, different, unashamed of our positions. I love competition. It's fun for me. I, I, this week I had the, the privilege, many of you know a friend of mine, Pastor Kevin Schott. Any of you guys know Pastor Kevin? Uh, Kevin and I are, are we're, we're uh, ride or die buddies. And we, we, there's actually the four, the four amigos, the four horsemen we all met uh, in our mid-20s at uh, the same church. Uh, we, we were a part of the same small group. We all uh, walked out our life. We made covenants together. We, we made agreements to hold each other accountable and to be the type of friends uh, that the others deserved and to, and to be real friends, go real deep in our 20s. And Kevin is, is um, getting married. And so we, we got the old gang back together this week. And, and we went up to Broken Bow and rented a little cabin. And man, we just, we just cooked out and ate good food and laughed. And, and, and we decided that we would create a competition. Good, clean, 
fun, godly guys, just four of us grilling steaks and having a big time, but, but we created a competition. And, and it was our own, our own uh, games, and there was a point system, and it was intense, to say the least. You got four guys, me and Mike and Andy and, and Kevin, and all of us are competitive, and it might as well have been high school kids, the trash talk, the revel, the, just the wild, just rowdy going at each other, cornhole till one in the morning. I mean, we're throwing darts and playing pool. And, and this cabin that we rented literally had like eight or 10 games. I brought a bow and arrow and we're, and we're doing archery and it was unreal. It was crazy. We're having so much fun, good, clean fun. But the competitive nature where you've got grown men in full-blown arguments over the angle of a cornhole sack. And whether or not it landed on or it skipped first or what's the actual rule and Google this and look up that or whatever. And all, I mean, we're literally in the midst of intense debate over a dart. Ridiculous stuff. But it was fun. See, iron sharpens iron. We, we live in a world right now that, that wants to silence any opinion that doesn't agree. This idea of politically correct stuff, stuff you can't say. Now in Congress, you can't have any type of gender reference. Unbelievable, guys. And you, I mean, so you can't say aunt or uncle. Has to be your parent's sibling. No reference of gender. No stepmom, stepdad, nothing like that. It's ridiculous, it's hypocritical, it's ungodly, it's not right. And we as the people of God, come on, God made male and female. He made man and woman. He called it good. And we have a world that calls good evil and evil good. And we have to be the people that are willing to stand up and say no. We have a culture problem. It goes contrary to the gospel. It goes contrary to the kingdom. The culture problem that we have is this ideology that everyone deserves the exact same thing regardless of whatever effort or intentionality or work or, or talent or gift set or whatever and so we've now have raised an entire generation on participation trophies. We don't want anyone to ever feel like they lost. So now we got a whole generation of people that think that they deserve what you have, whether they ever work for it or not. Can I tell you that you don't deserve anything that you don't earn? The only thing that you can have that you don't deserve or earn is your actual salvation that you get through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else. See this concept of maxing out, this title, this theme of maxing out, it, it, it's gonna ruffle some people's feathers because there's an agenda that everything needs to be fair. Everything in life needs to be fair. Do you remember what your parents told you? Life's not fair, suck it up. That's what your parents told you. You want fair? 
Wait till October. It's open for a week. Sheeps and goats and carnival rides and all that. That's the only fare you get. This is life, buddy. My, my, my youngest, uh, Blakely, she's a competitive volleyball player, and she's pretty good. Um, but yesterday, and they're at a tournament right now, and my, this is our first time playing club volleyball. Somebody should have warned me. These people are nuts. Anyway, let's move on. Come back to Jesus. Hold on. They just got they got dominated yesterday. I mean, it's eleven years, you know, the twelve and under eleven year olds. They're playing against girls that are my size, have thighs my size. I'm talking about eleven year old monster girls that jump higher, arms this long over the net, and these are little bitty girls. They're and they're pretty good, but they got just demolished. And, and, and you know my conversation with, with my daughter on the way home is like, look, babe, if you want to be able to compete like that, you got to train like that. You, gotta, you need to be doing squats every day, push-ups every day. You need to have a, the volleyball in your hand every day, all day long. You, you can, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. You're not great yet. You're 11. Get back on the court. Go practice. You need to have a ball glued to you. Want to be, you want to go play in college? You better work. You better practice. This whole idea of you can be anything that you want to be. Not if you don't work, sucker. Not if you don't have talent. You have to have actual talent, actual work ethic. You have to sacrifice. Last week we talked about Jacob. Jacob wanted a wife. He had to sacrifice seven years of his life just to get tricked and duped by his father-in-law. To work another seven years. 14 years he had to work for that woman. You better work. Better sacrifice. And we have a culture that has the disease of entitlement. It's a disease. It's disgusting. It's pathetic. It's not kingdom. It's not in the Bible. If you're going to be great in life, do anything great in life, have a great business, have a great career, you're going to earn it. You may be born well and have a fancy family and a fancy whatever, all that kind of stuff, and maybe you end up in a position that you don't deserve, and guess what? You won't keep it if you don't earn it. If you don't learn how to work, how to sacrifice, how to be committed, you'll lose it. You've heard the term life's a game. Some people don't like that term. I, I grew up playing, my favorite board game was the, was the game of life. You remember the game of life? And I had a strategy every time. I wanna get my job, I wanna start making money, I wanna get my wife, I wanna build my family, I wanna get my house, I wanna, as fast as I can, I wanna build all of these substantial things that make life worth living, and then I wanna weather through this road, Do you remember? And so you had your little pink, your little pink person, you had your blue person, and you had your pink kids and your blue, do you remember this? And, and you're working your way through the, through the game of life, and you're drawing, and, and guess what? Life sometimes deals you some bad cards. But you weather through it together and you keep moving forward and somebody finishes the game before you or sometimes you get to win. And that's life. It's life. 
I'm not the type of parent that plays games with my kids and lets them win every single time until they're 30 years old. No, I'm gonna dominate my children and teach them what it feels like to lose. So they'll work harder next time. I don't want pansy children. Our kids. <laughs> Dad, I'm hungry. Go make a sandwich. You're 12. You can turn, go, go make some noodles for crying out loud. God, we were latchkey kids. Was anybody else a latchkey kid? You know what that is? Latchkey kid. Both parents working, walk home from school, got a, got a key on a necklace around your neck. Let yourself in. Make your own snack. Do your own homework. Parents come home at dinner time. What a, that man, I was in charge at 10 years old of both of my little sisters. At 10. Now we're like, well, I don't want to leave them home alone. I mean, they're 17. What could happen? What if 10? I was responsible for lives, right? Poor girls. Poor girls. Life's a game. Play to win. Some people hate that. Some people hate that phrase. Oh, life is not a game. Lighten up. The Bible says that life is like a race. Run to win. Fix your eye on the prize. Max out. Don't just coast through life. Play to win. That's your Bible. Run to win. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run to win. Well, we're supposed to be focused on heaven. Sure. Be. And also... You better do what God's called you to do right here on earth. The pastor that I grew up with, he, he had a phrase. He said, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You got to keep heaven in perspective. You got to keep eternity in perspective. The whole idea is that every single thing you do, you do unto the Lord as worship. It's all worship. It's all eternally connected. See, you don't earn your salvation, but the Bible's very clear that there are rewards in heaven on top of just getting in, on top of just your, your ticket. There are rewards in heaven. I have a running joke with another pastor friend of mine. He tells me all the time that his house is gonna be bigger than mine in heaven, and I can come over and swim in his pool, and he'll cook me a steak on his barbecue because I'll be in a different neighborhood that, that, than he will be in. It's, I, I, eight mile. I'm going to end up on the eight mile. I'm going to get in though. Can I tell you that you can't win in life if you don't commit? Two biggest things that we have to have, two biggest things, two, two of the biggest problems that we have in our nation is people that are not willing to sacrifice. They want everything for nothing. And they want to blame everybody else for what they don't have. No willingness to sacrifice, to work, to earn. Number two, no ability to commit. We live in a culture that doesn't want to commit to anything. We live in a culture, I remember the generation that my parents are in, people stayed at the same company 
for decades and decades. Companies treated their people incredibly well. It was, there, was a, there was a loyalty. Now, it doesn't exist. Companies will cut you for nothing and people will leave for a few extra bucks. There's no commitment. We, we don't want to actually have to sign up for something. We just want to rent things. We, we just want to borrow things. We don't want to invest in something. We have a cultural problem. People don't want to commit. People want to blame things on other people. Well, if I just had this, if it wasn't for that person, if it wasn't for whatever, we make excuses so that we can opt out instead of max out. Psalm 37, five says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. You wanna be great in God's kingdom, you wanna be great in life, you wanna be great in art, music, sport, education, vocation, career, as a business owner, you better sacrifice and you better commit. Commitment is what God is looking for. There's a verse in the Old Testament that said the eyes of God are roaming to and fro over the whole earth looking for the one who is fully committed so that he can strengthen him. God wants to strengthen people that are fully committed. But people that aren't fully committed, his eyes roll right past them. Doesn't sound very fair. God has to find people that he can trust so that he can entrust them with great things. We're in the story of Jacob. And Jacob, this next part of the story is where Jacob is now working in Laban's house, his uncle. And he had been tricked. We already discussed this. He was tricked into working for 14 years instead of seven. Finally, at the end of 14 years, he comes back to Laban. He says, look, it's time. I'm taking my wife and my kids, and I'm going back to my father's land. I'm going to go build my life now. I've worked for you for 14 years. I earned my wives and children, but you've paid me nothing. I'm going to go. Laban said, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I'm blessed because of you. Tell me your wage. Again, tell me what you want. I'll pay it. Jacob says, okay, here's the deal. Go through the flocks today. Take out any sheep or goat that has any miscoloration in them at all. Any flawed sheep or goat, that will be my inheritance. Or, 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 or just take them out of the flock and give me only the, the, the pure white sheep that don't have any flaw, the pure goats that don't have any flaw. Give me only those. They're yours. In fact, all of them are yours. But I will manage for you now the only pure white sheep and goats. And whatever speckled or spotted or miscolored goats are born of this part of the flock that I manage, that will be my inheritance. I'll leave that up to God, I'll leave that up. And Laban said, absolutely, sign it, do the deal right now. Because they knew that in the breeding process, 
that the speckled goats had a dominant gene and speckled mating or speckled sheep mating, striped sheep mating with the ones that were pure would throw offspring that were colored. So Laban went through that day, took every colored sheep or goat out, took them three days journey away and put Jacob in charge of only the pure white sheep because that was a massive disadvantage for building wealth. But God gave Jacob a strategy. In a dream, God woke Jacob up and said, watch this, buddy. I'm going to give you a little trick that's somehow going to help these sheep throw speckled and spotted offspring, even though they're plain and pure in their own personal genetics. So this passage right here, this is Genesis 30, verse 37, says, Now Jacob took for himself rods of green, poplar, and the almond and chestnut trees, peeled them white stripes, uh, peeled white stripes in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods, and the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs that made, uh, that made the flocks um, I'm sorry, I looked at the wrong verse. Um, made the flocks face toward the street at the, at, and at the brown of the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before their eyes and the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. This is a weird story because I don't know scientifically how that works. They were smart enough to understand the genetics that the color of a sheep or goat would impact the color of the children that would be born. But God gave Jacob some kind of divine strategy in the midst of a household that sought to take him for granted, take advantage of him, deceive him, malign him, uh, steal from him, trick him, uh, leave him with nothing. That was the agenda that Laban had. So God gave him a supernatural strategy. I don't know if it would work today or not. Maybe you should take your sheep out and try it. We don't know, we don't have any sheep. But in this specific instance, God gave him a strategy to help him thrive in the midst of corruption. You ever had a bad boss? Don't say yes. Angel, Angel doesn't work at the church. She's had 1,800 bad bosses at this point. Listen, I've had bad bosses all throughout my life. Since I was 14, 16, 20 I've had bosses that would cuss me out. My God, I was in the martial arts world. I had bosses that would physically beat me. When you're a professional martial artist and your boss is your instructor, you do something wrong, they teach you on the mat. So guys, I'm telling you, I've had some bad bosses in my day. So have you. But if we are not careful will quit when God has a blessing for us if we endure. I've watched people quit 
at the slightest mistreatment. I, I, I've watched this my whole life. I've known people. There was a time where, where I had a young man that wanted to be in ministry. He came to me. And he was in his 20s. He said, I want to be a minister. I want to be a pastor. I've had this same conversation with a half dozen or more young men that want to be a ministry. I said, okay, great. You want to be a ministry? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your job for the next year. I want you to pay off your debts. I want you to save up this much money. I want you to get this much insurance. I want you to, I want you to accomplish these specific goals that, that are a part of your life. Just basic life goals. And then come back to me when you're done. And we'll see if you're qualified to do ministry. What does that have to do with preaching the word, Joel? I don't know. The Bible says if you can't manage your life, you sure can't manage the church. That's what the Bible says. When, you, when, when, I, when, I, when I've got 25, 27-year-old men that I've got to tell them and challenge them to keep their job for a year because I've watched them have five jobs in the last year and a half. It's always the boss's fault. Is this too real? I've watched people quit. Come on, I had a friend in college. He quit every semester. The most talented guy I've ever met. He looked like, he looked like young Alec Baldwin. I mean, the dude was good looking, six foot built. The guy was a stud in every way possible. But he couldn't finish anything. He, 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 he was the, what's it called? The, the, uh, he was good at everything, jack of all trades, but master of none. That was, that was the basic concept. Parents paid for everything, signed him up full below to college classes, and, and he would quit every single semester by the, by the drop dead date. We went to college, the same college together for three years. At the end of those three years, I hadn't quit a single class. I hadn't dropped a single class. I'd passed every single class. I had 74 credits. He had zero credits, zero credits. Three years, zero credits. Can I tell you that winners never quit? There's a time for necessary endings. There's a time for things to shift. There are seasons where, where life shifts and you go different directions. But quitters don't win and winners don't quit. And we've gotta be the people of God that recognize when it's time for a season to change but refuse to quit prematurely. Can I tell you that the right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing? Making babies is great when you're married. Not when you're 15. Not when you're single. When you're in a committed, beautiful relationship, it's absolutely great and right in God's will. The right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing. Doesn't mean God can't do something with it, because he can, he always seems to. But we've got to be people that recognize if we're going to max out, if we're going to win. Do you understand Jesus is a winner? And you're supposed to be like him? Guys, this is who I am. I, this, is, this is what God made me to be. A professional competitor. And we need to be the people of God that look like the victorious people of God. That other people from other cultures look at us and go, what is it with those people? Why do they keep winning? 
Guys, you, you look at the Jewish culture. They're the richest people in the world per capita in every country, in every field. They run everything. They own everything. Why? They follow principles from the Bible. They teach generation after generation, thousands of years of teaching God's biblical principles, and they put them into practice. Does God have favor on them? Yeah. But it's not luck. It's work ethic. It's drive. Sacrifice. It's commitment. They stay married. They raise their children. They build generational wealth. They have a culture that values building upon generations. That needs to be important to us as God's people. That, that's, that's our spiritual family. See, I was raised, um, my parents um, taught me early on not to quit. I, I remember being nine and wanting to play the piano. My parents said, okay, we'll sign you up. We'll pay for it. You have to make a commitment for a year. You have to sign this contract. You're gonna practice this many days a week. You're gonna whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm like, done, sign it. I'm playing piano. Second week, I don't wanna play piano anymore. Mm, sorry, Joel, you didn't read the fine print. See, on this contract here, we're on the hook to pay for this for a year. So you have to take these classes for a year, and these are the privileges that are whatever, whatever connected to this and this. I had to finish that contract. Nine, ten. Any, any sport, sporting team that I would sign up for? I don't think I want to be on this team. Hmm, that's too bad. You made a commitment to a team. You got to finish the season. At the end of the season, we can discuss it, but right now, go get your cleats, sucker. We're going to practice. That's called good parenting. And we live in a world right now. Come on. If I got in trouble at school when I was growing up, my mom assumed I was guilty. Now... That teacher, I will tell them, no one talks to my baby that way. We assume the teacher, what is wrong with our world? Worst thing they ever did is take SWATs out of school. My Lord, if you ever get SWATs by the baseball coach, you will know you're alive. <laughs> tennis coach too, my God, backhand from a tennis coach, woo, lift you off the ground. We had respect for our teachers. We had respect for authority. Zero respect for authority in our world right now. I remember the first time I got knocked out. First of many. I hit my head on a concrete floor fighting um, in class. My mom was real upset. I, I had a concussion for sure. Um, came out of class, had an ice pack on my head. My mom's like, first time and only time. Joel, you can quit if you want to quit. I was 12 years old. I looked at her like she was absolutely insane out of her mind. Quit? Quit? Are you kidding me? I'm going to get him. I'm getting back in there. I, that dude is going down, mom. I'm going to tip. But, and that dude, I'm like seething at the idea of quitting. No, that guy's going to pay. That was a cheap shot, and he's going down. Come on, guys. We've got to get some tenacity. We've got to raise our kids with some tenacity. Instead of babying them. Make them earn some stuff. Sid got to buy her first car. She earned it. She saved every penny. 
My 11-year-old is like, yeah, dad, I know you're going to buy me a car. I'm like, watch and see. You better save. She got to buy one. I don't know what's going to happen to you. You better save or you're going to be really sad starting to try to earn money at 16 and 17 with no way to get around. I'm not going to baby her. She's going to earn it. Well, Joel, you should get, it's my house. <laughs> Come on, we can't raise kids. It won't work. Won't save. Won't earn. So here's the big question today. Do you quit? Do you opt out? Do you uproot yourself? Do you procrastinate? See, listen, not finishing is the same as quitting. It's one thing to say, you know what, that's it, I'm done, I quit. It's another thing just to not finish. Results are the same. Procrastination, laziness, distraction, all result in quitting. And if you quit, you lose. See, the great thing with Jesus is if you just don't quit, you win. You can go through hell on earth. If you don't quit, you win. See, in my prayer this week, uh, in seeking through this, and, and guys, it's challenging to be a pastor in the, in, the, the, in the world culture that we're in right now. It's challenging to lead in a time where, uh, where we're literally being lied to by propaganda news on every side. You don't know what you can trust. We're literally, we're, guys, we are watching, we are watching big tech completely take control of what's allowed to be seen and found on the internet. I switched to a new uh, internet uh, search engine this uh, week because I realized that if I searched for something on Google or Safari, it wouldn't show up at all. But if I went to a different one, that I could find all kinds of stuff that's actually going on in the world that they won't let you see. Guys, we're being lied to at every turn. We're being deceived and kept from information at every turn. This is happening in front of our eyes. It's not conspiracy theory, it's actually happening. People being shut down, kicked off of platforms, platforms being kicked off of the whole system because they have views that are different. Christians, they're coming for you. You don't think they're coming for you? You represent everything they hate. People leave churches, get offended. Listen, there's, there, there's a time to leave. But if you leave before it's time, you mess stuff up. Sometimes you're not supposed to leave. You gotta learn how to plant your roots. You can never be a mighty oak unless you stay planted long enough. You gotta be in the right soil, the right environment, the right teaching, the right nutrition, the right, you gotta be planted. You put an oak tree in a pot, only it's so big. You move that pot anywhere you want, still a pot. You wanna produce great fruit, you gotta be planted. You wanna produce great fruit in work, be planted. Great fruit in relationships, be planted. Great fruit with your kids, be planted. Great fruit with your wife, be planted. Anything you wanna be great in, you better be planted. You gotta get your roots down deep. You can't be plucking yourself, moving all around. You also have to recognize when it's time to shift environments. But it better be God. You don't just shift because it's an irritation. 
You don't shift because of any old thing. You don't shift because you weren't getting treated right. Guys, if I quit every time I was mistreated, I would have quit 80 million times while working at a church. Because stuff happens. And we've got to learn how to be tough and how to focus on the future and how to see a bigger picture. How to stay the course. Recognize God's season on something. Watch this. The end of this story here with Jacob. The end of this particular part of it. We'll have another part next week. He works for six more years for Laban. He earns tremendous wealth. He begins to recognize the season's changing. He goes to his wives. He says, ladies, it's time to go. Your dad's out for us. Um, the attitude has shifted. We got to get. And they said, you know what? We've watched. We've seen the shift. We've seen him mistreat. He's taken away our own inheritances. He treats us like we are just common foreigners. We're, we don't even have an inheritance anymore. The, the amount that you paid for us for our wedding dowry, he spent all of that. This is in your Bible. Laban, Laban was a wicked, wicked father. But God put Jacob underneath him for 20 years to cook and develop and build tenacity. Sometimes God puts you in a place where you have a bad leader, bad boss, bad whatever, bad anything, because he's got something he's trying to create in you, tenacity, endurance, and ability to, to be resilient, to not be a pansy like we talked about last week, but to be someone who can push through and endure and finish strong and actually create and produce a great harvest. Sometimes the things in your life that you feel like are not from God are actually from God to make you who he wants you to become. So they leave in the middle of the night, take all the wealth, take everything. It was all his. He didn't take anything that wasn't his. But his wife, Rachel, I don't understand this, she literally stole her dad's little idols. I don't know why. To just to gig him? I don't know. To spite him? I mean, her dad played a pretty mean trick on her. She, 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 she spent seven years thinking she was about to get her dream boat just to have her dream boat given to her squinty-eyed sister the night before. And then had to wait and watch her sister. Come on, this was a this is like days of our lives, desperate housewives. You read this story, this, this is some jacked up, messed up stuff in this family, okay? And God used all of it. He used every ounce of it. Every part of the journey was part of the recipe of building a great nation. You may have gone through the most horrific loss, horrific mistreatment, had a bad separation, a bad divorce. You may have had, lost a child. You could have gone through horrible, horrible, horrible things, and God knows just how to season that and just how to tweak that and just how to build that into the recipe of your life. So Laban shows up, and he's got his army with him, and Jacob stands up against him. In Genesis 31, verse 38, Jacob says this, I have been with you for 20 years. Your sheep 
and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters, and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not uh, been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardships and my toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. See, Laban came to take from Jacob, and God showed up and got in Laban's face and said, you better not touch a hair on his head, buddy. I'm protecting him. This is what you need to take from that. God is your defender, not you. God is your defender, not you. Your job is to do the right thing and keep doing it. Be committed. You've got to be committed to God. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will bring it to pass. That's what we declared earlier on in the service. This church was born because of decades of commitment. There are people in this church, we've been committed to each other for decades, and we did things the right way. And when it was time, God birthed this church. When it was time, when it was season, he birthed this church. God did it. He planted it. No one else planted it. God planted it at just the right time. He had an inheritance for his people. He had something special for them to do, a special assignment, and that's why we're here. And we won't accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish without commitment and sacrifice. We've got to be willing to sacrifice for him to accomplish the cause and the call. We've got to be willing to commit to him and to stay in the race together and keep pushing forward together. See, there's another word for commitment that's used in the scriptures. It's the word diligence or diligent. The Bible says that the diligent hand will rule. Proverbs 13, 4 says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. That word diligence or diligent in the Hebrew language is the word karutz. Karutz. It's the word for something that is sharp, something that has the ability to cut. It's a word that's used for mining gold or for digging a trench with a sharp tool. It's the word where we get uh, the incisor teeth, a sharp uh, canine type incisor teeth, something that can penetrate, something that can cut, something that is sharp. Someone that is diligent is someone that is sharp. They handle their business. They stay tuned up. They get things done. They dot their eyes. They cross their teeth. They do it with expedience. They stay on the ball. God is looking for people that will be diligent, that will handle their business so that he can bless them. They do things on time. They get there early. They're not late. I had a boss, he's like, if you're, he goes, he goes if, if you're, uh, well, I can't remember how he said it. He said, I think he said, if, if, you're, if you're right on time, you're 30 minutes late or something like that. I mean, it's just one of, the, one of those, that was his thing. He, he literally, he goes, if you, if you call in sick, Joel, you better have a body part on the floor. That's how I was raised. That was the kind of boss I had. You're sick? Okay. What part of your body fell off? Oh, nothing? All right, come on up here and get to work. Champions play hurt. Champions perform when they're sick. That's how I was raised. 
Oh, baby, you don't feel good. You just stay home with me. Mm. Come on, guys. We got to be sharper. We got to be more excellent. In fact, we need to be the sharpest. We need to be the sharpest. I hate the phrase, well, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. (laughs) Crying out loud, quit being a tool. That's what I want to say to those people. (laughs) Quit being a tool, all right? Be sharp. Be the sharpest. Be the best at what you do. Be excellent in all you do. Your work is your worship. If you're a mom, be the best mom. Stay at home, be the best stay at home. My God, it's hard, stinking work. Be good at it, be excellent at it. Let your parents tell, let your kids grow up and tell stories of how amazing you were as the stay at home mom. If you're you're a banker, you're a lawyer, or whatever, be the best. It's for His glory. Your work is your worship. And He wants to bless you, but He's looking for people that are fully committed. Fully committed to him, fully committed to his church, fully committed to the tithe, fully committed to, to the job that he's called them, the work that he's called them, the, the, the skill set and the craft that he's called them. Come on, guys. It's time for us to not make excuses, but to make it happen and be the absolute best we can be for his glory. I'll say one last thing to you. In my prayer time this morning, I said, God, help me understand this, 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 this season that we're in as Americans, how does it fit? He said, Joel, he goes, Laban wasn't just Jacob's boss. He was Jacob's government. There was no local government. It was, it was, these were nomadic people. Laban was the government. Laban was the political leader. Laban was the politician. Laban lied cheated, manipulated, changed the story, said one thing, did another. Sounds just like a politician to me. And in the midst of corrupt government, I made Jacob thrive. In the midst of corrupt government, Jacob was excellent before me. And I walked him through. He was committed. He sacrificed. And I brought him through a season of corruption where everything was outside of his control. And he was being played and changed on and and, and lied to and manipulated and used. But I elevated him. See, four years ago, four years ago this week, let's not forget, four years ago this coming week, Washington, D.C. was on fire because of protests, violent protests in our capital one year, four years ago. Don't act like this is some kind of a new thing. Happened four years ago, happens every time. Not every time it's violent, but every time someone's upset. And we've had nothing but riots and violence and fires and burning down cities and all kinds of stuff like that over and 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 over again. And in the midst of corrupt government, on every side, on every side, there's corruption. Stop thinking that one side is this innocent little angelic lamb and the other side is evil. 
There is disgusting corruption on every side. And we as the people of God have to stand up, be excellent, be committed to God, be committed to his ways, and trust our ways unto him. Trust him, be excellent for him, and allow him to bless us and elevate us and promote us and reward us in the midst of corruption, in the midst of famine, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of the lies, in the midst of the, of, of the chaos. God can elevate you and he can reward you and he can bless you and he can raise you up in the midst of it all. That's the truth. That's the truth. And we've got to be the people that he's looking for. Fully committed. Fully committed. Fully committed. Not quitters. Not giving up. Not complainers. Not lazy. Not slack. Fully committed. Excellent people. Willing to stand up. Willing to do what's right. No matter what. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.